0: but he's going to be our guest speaker this morning. We have many nicknames for Ben on our team. And actually, to honor Ben, I wore one of his favorite shirts, an aqua blue arteriac shirt, and uh, I just love him dearly. So let's welcome beloved Ben to the pulpit.
1: So in, in honor of his honoring me, I decided to not wear black. <laughs> this is what I call off black. <laughs> well, it's uh, always good to be here. Always, always, always. Um, Rich and I were just talking about the overflow room, and uh, initially, you, go, you know, make sure you say hello to the overflow room. Hello, <laughs> and, and then I went, oh man. Actually, you know what a multi-site is, you know, you have a mother church, and then you have another site, right, and things are streamed to the other site, and it's, it's one of the ways that churches um, maintain their intimacy, but also expand the kingdom. And I believe the overflow room is a first fruits, what God has for this church, um, that actually there's going to be more services, and there's going to be some multi-sites that won't be in building, Okay. But it'll be led by the Lord. It'll be equipped by the Lord. um, But uh, the kingdom of God is always advancing. Have you noticed that? Right? If you try to keep something in that's designed to go out. Well, anyway. So I'm really excited. Overflow, you're like a first fruits of what God is going to be doing in and through five stones. That was a drive-by prophetic word for the church. (laughs) Bud Light? No, 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 no. This is church. What? Go away. Just, I got the mic. Just sit down. Okay. So that the Holy Spirit doesn't leave, I'm going to pray. Um, Lord Jesus, we right now we just stop to focus on you, and we thank you for who you are, what you've done, what you are doing. But right now, specifically, I thank you that you have sent the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. you. You are not only amongst us, but for those of us who are children of God, Holy Spirit, you dwell in us. That's amazing. But honestly, Lord, you being here, what a privilege it is. It's not enough. Holy Spirit, unless you do what only you can do, you're the one that reveals truth. You're the one that speaks to our hearts and transforms how we think. Just you're, you're the one who makes Jesus real in us. You're the one. And it's awesome that you are here amongst us. But we respectfully plead with you. Do what only you can do this day in our hearts. Amen. There's two questions, at least two very deep foundational questions that course through um, the heart of every human being. Uh, We may not have the words to wrap around it, but there's these two fundamental questions. Who am I really? And why am I here on planet Earth? The first has to do with identity. The second has to do with purpose. If you'll notice, most of our, well, almost all of our major decisions are either explicitly or implicitly made on the basis of our trying to experience the answers to those two questions. What am I good at? What am I not good at? What's my personality type? What, you know, where am I strong? Where am I weak? Where's my sweet spot? What are the things that I'd never do? This is something that it's, it's part of the human condition, it's part of the human journey, and whether or not you know Jesus or not, those questions demand answers. Those questions are something that courses through. You know, when, when people get really depressed, their heart often says, there are no answers. There are no answers to those things. One is just as good as the other. Then there's our purpose. There's many things that we're, you know, we're, we're created to become by God, but what are we, what, what were we created to accomplish? What sort of purposes are we fulfilled? When we live a life where it's just about ourselves and not about our purposes, well, you know, that's Selfie City, you know, where we just, everything's about ourselves, but purposes are larger than ourselves. They're always larger than ourselves. So these two questions, where do we get the answers? Well, in Ephesians, we find out. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, uh, says, uh, Paul says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, before we were born, so that we should walk in them. This is fascinating, how, how, how I just sort of bring this down so that I can even understand it. God has a plan for every one of our lives. He has got a plan. He's he's got a a pathway and a plan for us to become certain kinds of people and to accomplish certain sorts of uh, tasks, to fulfill certain sorts of purposes. He's the one who's got the accurate, true, and complete answers to those two questions. And He's got the way for us to not only have the answers, but to live the answers. There's nothing more frustrating than to have the answers but not have a path to go experience them. That's a killer. That's a killer. So each of us are driven by this desire. Who am I really? And why am I here? And let's just assume, because this is church, and we believe that there is a God, and we believe that Jesus is you know, smart, and he created everything. Let's just assume that Jesus has the correct and complete answers to both those questions. This is very important because you know there are a lot of competitors. There's our world system. There's our culture. They got answers. MTV, they got answers. Um, our, our, Our parents, they got answers. Our friends, they got answers for us. Our enemies, boy, do they have answers for us. And with all that, we have our own answers. We, we, and I'm not saying that all those answers are wrong, but think about it. Given all these different voices, how do, we, how do we actually experience the correct and complete and life-giving answers to those really important questions? Just to make us actually want to experience God's answers, I'm going to say something rather radical, but welcome to Christianity. <laughs> I really believe that you can't fully experience who you are and why you are outside of a relationship with Jesus. And I'm not just making this up. It says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, okay? This doesn't mean that God won't love you. This doesn't mean that if you have a relationship with Jesus but you really don't care about who you are, you just look at Jesus as, look, save me from hell, And just bless me and support what's on my mind. God, that's not what's going on. God's love is not on the table here. What I am saying is, if we're created in Christ Jesus to experience fully who we are and why we are, a relationship with the Lord is important, okay? So that's the first point I want to make. Second point, we experience what we call Calls that sense of "Mm, God, you've created me to be like this, Mm, you've given me these talents. I don't know if all of you go, "Mm," but (laughs) some of you are going, That's not Canadian. We don't go, "Mm," at least not in public. All right, but this sense of you know, I'm good at this, this gives me life, and it gives me a sense of purpose beyond myself. And we don't wait for those things to come. Well, some of us do wait for our callings. But actually, this sense of calling is its just the Holy Spirit drawing us a little further down these pathways so we can know and then experience His answers to those two questions. Just little by little by little. And so after a while, it actually becomes a pursuit. Pursuing our callings. Wanting to grow into who we really are, really wanting to experience the purpose that God has for us which i believe we're better are going to be better than the best we can come up with it's actually a mark of maturity listen in philippians 3 it says not that i've already obtained all this this is paul he had a great track record he had a great religious resume but he says not that i've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal but i press on to take hold of that for which christ jesus took hold of me Think about it. God created you to become a certain kind of person and to accomplish and fulfill certain sorts of purposes. He took hold of us. And and Paul, who has a pretty good resume, he raised the dead, started some churches. I mean, pretty good. He goes, I'm not done yet. I have not arrived. So I actually press on to lay a hold of God's answers to those two questions. I, want to, I don't want to just believe it, know it's there, or even even get the answers. I want to experience it. And then just a couple verses down, he says, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. That's a killer, isn't it? It's just amazing that we think maturity has to do with how long you've been a Christian, which I think experience has its place. A lot of us think, how much of the Bible do we know? Well, you know, knowing the Bible really is an important thing because, you know, God's words happen to be true and everything else is sort of, well, counterfeit. And, you know, there's, sorry, but that's what it says. Argue with God. Um, But there's something that we, we think maturity has to do with maybe learning how to be a spiritual prune. You know, well, I just, I'm following God and therefore I'm unhappy, but it's worth it. You know, I mean, it's just weird, the stuff that goes on. But Paul's sitting there going, there are, there are a bunch of criteria for, for maturity, but one is this. Whether you know God's answers, whether or not you're prepared to experience God's answers to those two questions, you have the wanna. Say, man, I want, I want, I want to lay a hold, pursue, just grab onto and experience God's path for me to experience the, uh, his answers to those questions, that is a mark of maturity. It is not a mark of weakness. It is not a mark. I'm telling you, newly born again people who are oh, I'm so excited about Jesus. and They go, "Who am I really? What do, God? What do you have for me?" That's maturity. And there are those who've been, you know, you know, Christians for 20 years and they've been faithful. They love God. They're living holy lives and all that. And they go, you know, and they go. Good enough is good enough. Where I'm at, oh, thank you, God, for bringing me to this place of good enough. Now, here's the hard part. God initiates this journey, and he's actually in charge of how this journey is supposed to go. There is no Christian career path to discovering (laughs) who you are. I mean, there are principles. Oh, gosh, there are principles, but... I really believe that our pursuing and actually our experiencing or fulfilling our callings, it's a customized process. Before, before I go into you know, nail it down with the, in the Bible, you know, how many of you got kids? All right, that you're willing to admit are yours. Okay, so you have these kids. And, and you know, I have three daughters, three distinct personalities. And I try to raise them within godly principles but how do I, how I apply them? I better customize it. You know, there, 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 there's one daughter that is like, you know, she keeps on hitting the boundaries, just hitting the boundaries, just hitting the boundaries. And I'm going, oh, you're not going to win this one. You know, that kind of thing. And then the other side, all I have to do, there's one kid, all I have to do is go, sorry, dad, you know. And so there's a customized process. And, and it's not like they're afraid of me. <laughs> At least they tell me. "Are you afraid of me?" No, Dad." No. Anyway, our path to discovering and experiencing who we're created to be and what we're designed to accomplish, it's a customized thing. Here's some examples. Joseph, he was, a, he was a teenager. God gives him this great revelation. You're going to be in charge of a lot of things. You're going to be very fruitful, and here's the fun part: Your family's going to bow down to you because you're going to be so important. They're going to say, please, sign our Bible. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and Joseph loved that man. He said, that's right. He told, he told his family, guess what? I had this great dream. And they, and the brothers said, oh, you are dead meat. And, I mean, and that's what they did. They, they, they betrayed him and threw him away. He was, he was betrayed by his family, put into circumstances that would be painful on any by any stretch of the imagination but it's even more painful because the betrayal came from those close and he knew that God had spoken to him have you ever had a vision or a sense of what God has for you to do and then nothing works and you're going man because of all these circumstances I'll never be able to experience it It had to have been frustrating and God dealt with and was with Joseph throughout that very difficult process. He learned how to avoid temptation. He learned how to not manage temptation. When temptation came, he ran. A lot of us go, I can handle it. No, you can't. Run run from sin. Run from known sin. Run from it. Don't manage it. And then things turned around, and he became a big shot through a very bizarre process. And guess what? There's a famine, and then his family is in need of food. They're in trouble. They come into Joseph's court, and they go, oh, dang. (laughs) That's Joseph. (laughs) I hope he doesn't recognize us, because if he does, you know that. And Joseph passed the test. I mean, he could have chomped on him. He could have just said, I remember what you did. You're all going to starve. Actually, you're going to starve in prison. He could have done that. But he, imagine the process that brought him to a place where he could look at those who had betrayed him and say, what you did, you meant for evil, but God meant it for good. That's an amazing thing. Moses, I like Moses. God ha- Moses has this great revelation while he was uh, a, a leader in, uh, in uh, Egypt. Uh, he, you know, he, had, he had that incredible... He was discovered by an Egyptian woman, and he's raised in Egypt, and he becomes a real you know, a prince. And uh, then he, he, God calls him to be a deliverer of his people. And so he goes, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to kill a couple of Egyptians. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of Egyptians out there. And he goes and kills a couple, then he gets in trouble, and he goes, i got to get out of here. So he runs away from, I mean, he was really trying his best to follow God's will, but it didn't work. It blew up. He's in trouble. He's hunted. And so he runs away and he spends some time in the desert. How many of you ever had just a desert experience? You know, not with sand, but with your life. Because things just blow up and, you you know, it really wasn't really your fault. I mean, maybe you had something to do with it and you're in the desert and you are going, did God really speak to me? Is God even with me? Or did what God say, does it still continue? Or do you say, ah, you're a failure. I'm gonna find someone else who can pull this off. Well, he's wandering the desert and then he meets a burning bush. Welcome to the Bible, right? And there's this burning bush not being consumed and then it starts talking to him. Okay, this happens all the time, right? And then God basically says, you know, Moses... uh, I still have a calling on your life. You're going to be a deliverer of my people. You're going to be my spokesman. Isn't that amazing? And then once he goes, okay, I'll do it. Then he goes in front of Pharaoh and he goes, uh, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, you think they had a tough time then? I want to make it worse for your people. So here's Moses going, I'm supposed to be the leader. I'm supposed to bring these people out of bondage. Stand in front of Pharaoh. Nothing is working. But he kept on following God, and hopefully you know the story. At least you've read, uh, watched the movie Ten Commandments. You know, it's, it's most of it is not biblical, but it's a great story. Anyway, then there, there's a guy named Elisha. He was a very successful young man. Uh, he was plowing with a, a yoke of many, many oxen, which represents, you know, he, he had some bucks. He wasn't... He was working for himself. He wasn't working for someone else. He he was a a moneyed man, a successful man. probably had a good business. Mind in his own business, and Elisha just sort of invades his life, takes off his cloak, and puts it on him. Not because Elisha was cold. It represented that that Elisha, he had this calling, the cloak, this mantle, and he saw Elisha, God said, put it on him. Goes, boom, he just calls him. And then Elijah, what he does, he just walks away. I mean, here Elisha's going, he's got got all this money, he's got all this stuff, and someone just puts a call on him, and he goes, what do I do with that? Elijah's not going, come on now, follow me, you're called by God. As a matter of fact, Elisha goes, hey, what happened there? What do I have to do with you? That's between you and God. So you know what he does? He burns the yoke. He says no to the success that God had given him. He said no to it, to do the other thing. And you know what his first job as the next generation prophet? To be a servant of Elijah. Now just read about Elijah. Elijah is not in the top 10 of anyone's list of nice people. Right, I mean, he was hard driving guy, sort of snarky and all this sort of stuff. And that was part of his process. And all he did, eventually he became that prophet whose primary reputation is the one who washed the hands of his master. That's not the career path I would like. David, David was the runt of the litter, taking care of stinky sheep. He he, he was the youngest, least likely to succeed. In the middle of that, God goes, you're gonna be the next king. And then David serves the current king. He gets persecuted for that. He has to run. He runs into a cave. Then he runs into a stronghold. Saul is after him, the the prevailing king. And he goes through all that garbage just to get to the place so that God would go, see, now you're a king, but you can't say it's because you're all that. I did it. A very interesting career path. Peter... Peter, I love, I love Peter. For those of you who know me, I'm sort of like a contemporary Jewish Peter. Anyway, that, have you ever been baptized? <laughs> Peter, look, Peter, full of enthusiasm, but he, he was a spiritual idiot. I mean, he just, oh, 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 and he was always doing right, but Jesus loved him. Jesus loved him. Um, Then he did some foolish things, said some foolish things, got rebuked by Jesus, never said, stop following me, but it's just, Peter, no, 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 right? (laughs) Then Peter goes, I'll never leave you. And Jesus goes, oh, yeah, you will. No, I won't. Yeah, you will. Satan, get behind me. I mean, that's a tough rebuke. So Jesus gets crucified. Peter Feels horrible. Horrible. And then the resurrected Jesus pulls Peter aside. Can you imagine being Peter? Oh my gosh, what's he gonna do? And what 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 Jesus does is just bring out a restoration process so Peter is more in love with Jesus and his calling than he was in love with his failing. It's an amazing thing. And then one of my other favorite guys, Saul, who became Paul, he was a a well-intentioned, sincere, religious murderer. He would look at people who who were Christians and go, they are betraying the faith. And he he went out of his way not just to hunt them down or hurt them, but to actually kill them. It was an amazing thing. Then God humbled him. And then God, then God restored him supernaturally. You can read about this in the Bible. And then he started having some success. I'm reminded of that, that time where Paul was having successful ministry. Then he gets a vision, the Macedonian call. He's doing really well. It, it, it's probably fulfilling the vision that he knows God's given him. And then God just sort of throws him a curveball and says, There's another place, another kind of ministry that you haven't even thought of. And it's it's just a vision of mankind. please come help me. Those of us who are visionaries, we love that story, but we hate to experience it. Because God gives us a vision, we do everything we can, and then God does something to mess up our template. All these guys were called by God in different ways the processes through which they discovered who they really are and their purposes, it was very different from one another, but it's just God, when he calls, he will lead us through a process where we get to experience his answers to those two questions. What's our part to play? Well, the idea many times of saying yes to God's calling we have this idea, it's like God giving us a job offer. You know, we're doing one thing and he goes, hey, look, yeah, I got a better plan. Here it is. This will be required of you. Here are going to be the benefits and all. And then, you know, we just, we, we, oh, thank you, Lord. I'll, I'll pray about it, which is sort of funny when you think about it. God gives you an offer and you go, I'm going to pray about that. Who are you going to talk to? No, I've seen a lot of people get derailed for a season when they go looking for the second opinion. In any case, many times our yes to God is conditioned. We, we go, well, surely this must be God because this obviously fulfills a need for me. I need what God's asking me to do. Or, oh, I get it. I understand it now that, that, that the veracity of the calling of God is dependent on whether or not we understand it or even better sometimes we are sure that it's God's call when we really agree with it (laughs) right you know just well well of course you know I had that in my heart for years thank you God for finally getting around to confirming what my own idea of personal success is but I'm telling you that's not how this thing works Even when we get the call from God and we go yes to God with a certain idea of what it's going to look like, I mean, anybody who's walked with Jesus more than 15 minutes knows that what we sign up for is hardly ever what we get. Oh, God, thank you. You saved me. I'm going to heaven. I have peace and I'm joy. And all my friends now are persecuting me. And, you know, things sometimes just don't work out the way we think we've signed up for. There is a kind of yes to God, a yes to God's call. It's it's like a naked, unconditional, not foolish, but a naked, unconditional yes to that urging, to that sense of direction, this idea that this is what God has for me, or this is who God wants to grow me into. It's a yes that fundamentally has no conditions. It's not really based on whether or not we agree with it. Although it's nice to agree with what God says. It's not necessarily based on how we feel about it. God bless you millennials. (laughs) No, come on. I work with a lot of younger people. Notice I said younger. I believe I'm young. That's a deception that I'm comfortable with. (laughs) there's, There's a yes that is really unconditional at bottom that we need to attend to to realize that our yes really is, it's not just a yes to God's, God's call, it's really just a yes to God. Here's an example. In Matthew 4 19, Jesus comes up to these disciples. It's, it's their first meet and greet, okay? Uh, and he goes, Hey, you guys are uh, fishing. Come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I mean, that, that's the introduction. Think about this, you don't know this guy from, you just don't know him, and you're busy fishing, and this guy goes, hey, why don't you follow me? I'll make you fisher of men. And a lot of them went, yes. (laughs) Listen, if I'm in Walmart, and some weirdo comes, (laughs) and goes up to my kids, hey little girls, want some candy? right? I'm, I'm calling 911 as I'm running after him. 911 is the emergency thing in the United States. I don't know. If it, you know, if Because wait a second, you're a stranger. Who are you? And you want me to leave my livelihood, what I'm good at, what I'm comfortable with? I mean, you want me to do that? What are you, crazy? But see, Jesus' call is different. You could be doing what you're doing, but when he says, hey, see what you're doing? I can give you a better job. That some, I'll be a fisher of men. Now, these were fisher, you know, these are fishermen. What's going on in their head? All right. I throw the line out. I hook the fish, or I throw nets out and I pull them in. How do I do that with people? I mean, really, is yeah, how, how? So, what he's talking about, they have no idea what he's talking about. I mean, unless they get real literal. I mean, probably Peter said he'll bring his hooks and, he, and, he'll, and he'll bring his nest and go, just show me, I'll just drag him into the kingdom. <laughs> Not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Just the call to follow Jesus. We have no idea what we're saying yes to, but there's something about, I say yes. You know, people, if, if for those of you who have received Jesus, when that first time when you just took that step, all right, Jesus, I'm going to come to you on your terms. Yes, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. I give my life to you. Please live in me. However you did it, something happens, and you know you've started a journey, but you have no idea what it's going to look like. The, when you surrender your past, your present, and your future to Jesus, Guess what? It's a restart do-over. It's just an amazing thing. Here's another one. Abram. You can read about this in Genesis and also in Hebrews. Abram and his family, they're living in Ur of the Chaldeans. And it's sort of like a new age community. And uh, that's all they knew. Then God interrupts um, Abram's father's life, Terah. And he goes, hey, I've got a promise for you. I've got things you can experience that you can't experience them staying where you are. There's a land of promise. And then later on in Psalms, we find that God did the same thing with his son Abram. Hey, you know something? There's a land of promise, but you can't experience them staying right where you are. Of course, there's a geographical thing, but it could just be a spiritual thing or an emotional thing where God goes, I got so much for you, but you can't experience what I have for you staying where you are. And then scripture says, and so Abram went without knowing where he's going. He, he tells Abram, all right, now get going. Go to the land that I will show you. Okay, what land is that? When you get there, you'll know. Go to the land that I will show you. Wait a second. I need some brochures. Can I find it on Google? I mean, there, there's something else that look, get the train out of the station, There's more for your life, more for your family. I have promises that I I, I have for you that you can't experience staying right where you are. I will love you right where you are, but experience more of the answers to those two questions. Can't stay where you're at. Then Isaiah, I love this one. Isaiah, in the first five chapters of his life, he was a faithful priest in the house of God. And he had a knowledge of God, he had a relationship with God. And then all of a sudden his context gets blown up. King Uzziah, the guy who sort of framed his meaning, he dies. And then a midlife crisis. He's go, oh my gosh, my king, where do I fit? What's going on? And then in the middle of that, he meets God at a deeper level. Have you ever just known God relationally, he's done great things and all that, but all of a sudden you need to meet God at a whole new level? Well, that's what happened to Isaiah and it wasn't a particularly comfortable meeting. He goes, oh, what was me? Like, oh my gosh. I'm a man of unclean lips. Now, back in the day, being a man of unclean lips, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? He's sitting there going, man, I got issues. God got close to me. <sighs> I got issues. I'm a man with issues. And then he has the next revelation. I live amongst the people who have issues. That was a killer for a spiritually mature guy to find out not only does he have issues, but he's no better and no worse than any of the other people. That was a killer. It's a killer of pride, a killer of arrogance, just absolutely leveled him. And he's going, woe is me. How do you rebuild yourself when who you are really needs a do-over? So... God brought him to a place where, man, I got issues. and I'm no better than worse than anybody else. Oh, woe is me. Then God touches him, heals him, forgives him, and then does this. He doesn't speak directly to him. He, He just sort of speaks. Who shall go for us? Who shall we send? It's like Isaiah, he's been dealt with. He's just sort of, whatever. And he hears God sort of speaking out loud, thinking out loud, who shall go for us, who shall we send? It wasn't, hey, Isaiah, would you like to know what my answers are to your questions? He goes, who shall we send? And this idiot, he goes, here I am, send me. Look at the context of this. this no details. None. He, he, he's a faithful priest in the house of god then he meets god a different level and then here i am whatever right is that foolishness no when you meet god and then he makes a suggestion it's not foolish it's the only way to go mm-hmm. imagine you're unemployed you just you just get fired and you're about to go home to your wife and actually you do go home to your wife i'm fired she goes oh no we'll pray about it. god will provide and all that sort of stuff a couple days later you come home sweetheart Got a job. I met a guy on the corner. It was a divine appointment. Really? Right. When do you start? Next Monday. Great. Great. What's the job? Don't know. Well, how much is it going to pay? Mm, good question. Any benefits? Ah, you got a lot of good questions today, sweetheart. Right. Company car? We're going to have to move. What are the hours? Mm, 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 I don't know. Did you take the job? I sure did. I signed a, a blank legal contract. And he assured me that if I just show up for work, he'd start filling in the details as we go. Now, if you were the spouse of this guy, you go, you're crazy, you're out of your mind. Welcome to the kingdom. Welcome to the kingdom of God. Let's say you've been following Jesus for a while and you really like how he blesses you. You're sort of proud of, of, of how he does really cool things. You know, as he walked the earth, These disciples are going, yeah, with him. Yeah, watch him do this. Yeah, he raised the dead. Mm, I'm with him. You know, and he's got some nickname for me. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm getting blessed. I'm just right behind his wake. Everything's going good. Oh, my hero gets killed, murdered. Oh, he's back again. Okay. You know, come here, go away. Emotionally, you're a mess now. You think Jesus is going to be with you forever? And then he's gone, but he's back, right? So what do you do? What do you, you listen to the guy. He's got something to say. And he goes, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. Go where? I'm not telling. And then, well, what do you mean, go and make disciples? Teaching them to obey. What are you talking about, Jesus? He says, in your going, wherever it is that you find yourself, your primary mission in life is live a life in such a way you can demonstrate who I am and bring other people into my family. Go, the, everything else is just details. But that's the grand thing. That's crazy. I mean, well, Lord, I, I would love to be sent to these people because they're a lot like me. But, oh, not these people. You know, Peter had that problem. He said, send me to the Jews. I'm good with the Jews, but don't send me to the Gentiles. And Jesus goes, thank you for the advice, I'm going to send you to Cornelius' house. I mean, God respects as in he listens to and doesn't make fun of our suggestions, but he's not moved. I mean, he's got this plan. He doesn't go, okay, let's just change this. All right, I want you to do something with the Gentiles, go to Cornelius, I will find a nice rabbi. He doesn't do that. And here's the last example before I get to the point. We're not there yet. As my colleagues say, you got to wait till the end to find out where I'm going. That's right. Which is a lot like following Jesus, isn't it? In Ezekiel chapter 47, there's this vision of water coming out of the temple, and uh, there's Ezekiel, and 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 then Jesus comes and takes him by the hand, and he brings him. Into a part of the river that's really shallow. And so he gets in the river, and go, wow, this is really good, this is really refreshing, it gets the dust off my feet. Have you ever been in you know, a river that's actually flowing? Uh, it's, it's almost always refreshing. And, and there are little rocks and pebbles, and it's a little slippery, right? But because it's only like ankle deep, you just go in there and go, oh, this is really great. And you just sort of splash yourself, and you're having a lot of fun. This is refreshing, right? I'm enjoying the blessings and I've got complete control. So then it says that the Lord took Ezekiel to a place where he was knee deep. Now the river's flowing. Have you ever been in a river that's just sort of knee deep? I mean, it's moving, not like a tsunami, but it's still moving. And, you know, instead of standing like this in the river, you just sort of go like this, just so you can, you know, not get knocked off because it's a little slippery and all that but it's really refreshing. Oh, this is good. I really feel the power of God now, right? But still, you got control. And then God leads Ezekiel to a place like up to here. Now it gets interesting. Now you're like an underwater surfer. You're going, whoa, mm," and it's slippery, all that, but it's still pretty cool. After a while, you get your balance, and you're really good. As long as nobody touches you or pushes you, you're good. You can ride this thing. And then Jesus takes this guy and doesn't lead him into the deep end. He doesn't. What he does is he takes him on the bank. Takes him on the bank and he goes, son of man, do you see see that? And he's pointing to the deep end. He goes, that's the place where no man can cross it. Like there's no control. You don't determine the nature or direction of your life. Um. Uh, you won't even get to determine who you're going to flow with, right? But here was the promise Get into the deep end. Wherever that river goes, it'll bring life, it'll bring healing to the nations. Um, I mean, nations as in a whole bunch of different people. It's really interesting. Jesus did not push him in, he gave him a choice. I'll tell you a quick story. I think it was about. I think I was about five years old. And in, our, in, in my town, my, uh, you know, my family, we had sort of like, it was like a community pool. It's pretty nice, like a pool club, but nothing real ritzy. And uh, I didn't know, how to, you know how, how to swim. So my dad says, today's the day you're going to swim. And so I go, okay, and i knowing I'm not going to swim. I'm, I had already planned that I was going to push back at the right time. So he takes me, you know, the stairs that go down. So he gets in the pool, and he goes, okay, just walk down the stairs. And I'm going, okay. One more step. You know, and, and then, you know, the step that goes from here to here, hmm, exciting. Oh, you know, it's like, that'll wake you up. <laughs> and then, then the next step would have gotten the water to about here, and I said, nope. I'm not. And I just walked out. And he goes, come on, son. Nope. no, uh I'm not. I was scared, and pl- plus, I just didn't want to. He goes, okay, he comes out. True story, I'm telling you. So here's the pool, and Dad's here, and we're walking to where the five feet is. No, he did not push me in. <laughs> what he does, he said, stop right here. He jumps in, and he goes, come on, I got you. Okay. And I'm, go- I'm standing here. Look, I just said no to that. <laughs> but I, I just don't know what came up. I just jumped. I jumped. He caught me. I got really wet, you know, snot coming out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was just sort of a mess, but he brought me up, and I'm looking right in his face. I'm wow. He goes, let me teach you how to swim. And within about 10 minutes, you know, he's holding me, and after a while, I got it, Dad. I'm doing it. And my dad yells at my mom, sweetie, honey, look at this. He's a natural. And there's no way I knew that until I took that jump there's no way I would have known or experienced the fact that I was designed to be a pretty darn good swimmer. Many of us, many of us are just like right here. We know that the next step, we're gonna lose a little bit more control. I had a really clear vision many, many years ago. I had a vision of a guy who loves God, loves God with all his heart, and God brought him to the place where, you know, take the next step and that he's so responsible. And he's like, God, I'd love to, but, you know, there's my finances, there's my kids, there's this and that, as if God hadn't factored any of that in. And I, I just heard the Lord speak to this man. You don't have to jump in all by yourself. Bring all this stuff with you into the river and I'll sort it out as we go. And the guy jumped. jumped. Our yes to God's calling is not a yes to God's calling. It's a yes to God. So who is it that calls you? Who starts giving you that nudge, that sense that there's more, or man, I'm tired of my own answers. I want to start experiencing God's answers to these really important things. Who is it that's getting that thing going? Who is the one that calls you? Well, it's God, the God of the Bible, Jesus himself. Now before you go, well, there's all these others. Just listen to me. This Jesus, he knows a lot. He's really smart. You might be smart. But whatever smarts you bring to the table, Jesus is going, "Mm, you're not even a close second best. I mean, I created you. I created the universe. I know stuff that you will never know. I know stuff. I'm an expert on anything. I did that. Did I do it right? <laughs> she, and she's sitting there, going, no, you got to go like this. No, listen. God is an expert on everything. How many times do we try to negotiate with God and you know have a mutual non-aggression pact? You know, God, well, this is what I want. I know what you want. Can't we just sort of meet in the middle? And God says, well, I'm an eternal God, meaning I can wait. <laughs> but listen. God knows. He knows a lot. He knows how he made us. He knows the answers to those questions. He knows the plans that he has for you. These plans are not to destroy you, but for your own good and for his glory. He knows this. He's not just making guesses. And whatever whatever excuses or limitations you think you have, God's going, ah, oh, that's easy. Where you're weak, I can be strong. Where you're broken, oh, I can make you whole. Where you're hopeless, I can give you a hope that will never disappoint. Not only does he know us, he really loves us. Now, we love ourselves, and we have people, oh, when they love me, I feel so... Listen, nobody, nobody can ever love you the way Jesus loves you. Nobody. Nobody, it's not even close that even your, your your closest friend, I almost said your best wife, only one, you experience the love of Jesus. You appreciate how God loves us through other people, but His love it far surpasses everything. I tell you, if you have a person who knows everything and loves you more than anybody else, and they go, "Hey, come, let's go do this," so what's the problem? He's really smart. He knows what he's doing. He will not screw you. It may be an interesting ride but he will not screw you. He's got the plan. He knows how he made you. He's got the answers to those two questions and he knows the way how to lead you so you can experience that. That's the one who calls you. It's not the call that we're really saying to because when God starts calling us, we don't have many details to say yes to. We're saying yes to him. Here's another question. Who owns you? Who calls you, and then who owns you? This is uh, Scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter six it says this is if you're born again, if you're, you're in, if you you're a son or daughter of God, if you've surrendered your past, present, and future to Jesus. That that kind of you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. A lot of people love following Jesus and having Jesus in their life and all that, but when you get to that, you know, it, when you gave your life over to Jesus, that was not a metaphor. It was like, I, all of a sudden he owns you. You, know, you sign over the ownership paper. See, Jesus, my way, not good. I surrender to you. Forgive me. Come dwell in me. Like, you now own my house. You're the one who is in charge of the nature and direction of my life. That's what's really going on. Who would you rather be owned by? You really want to own yourself? You want someone else who intimidates you? You want them to own you? You want your past to own you? Do you want your feelings to own you? What owns you? And compare that to being owned by God. Hmm. Just an interesting thing. You know, when, when Jesus comes to us, we're all fixer-upper houses. All of us. It's just that he's just got this design. Oh, just give it to me and we'll replace the four. Yeah, I mean, sorry the Robin Williams thing came out again. Go back, go back. Listen we are all broken, we're all a mess, we have our own ideas, we don't even seek God, he has to initiate it, all that sort of stuff. And he goes, listen, I'm gonna buy you if you'll say yes. And once I buy you, I'm gonna take out floorboards, put out better stuff. I mean, you know, that little kitchen sink, let's get you a nice one. There's a restoration process that we can't even imagine. Who do you want to own the nature and direction of your life? I've even known people who love God, they're following God, they've taken risks, and actually what owns them is the vision that God's given them. And they're more into following the vision than the author of the vision. And sometimes you go, thank you for that vision. You have a Macedonian call? It's just an amazing thing. I will use Greg. Greg, let's say I drive by your house and you just have grass up to here. And you know, because I care about you in the Lord means I can't stand you in the flesh. No, only kidding. So <laughs> we can do this. Come on, have you ever had some of the, like, hey, I just love you in the Lord. Uh, you really can't stand me. All right, I get it. Anyway, so he's got this grass, my, my compassion. And I go, hey, Greg, I bought this lawn for, m- lawn for you. It's yours. And you go, wow, thanks, man. That's really great. And a week later, I come by. And what you're doing, instead of cutting your grass you're shining a pile of rocks with your lawnmower. Ping, 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 ping. You know, little children have to go to the other side you know, because of the rocks flying out. And I go, Craig, what are you doing? Lawnmowers are for cutting lawns. It's not for shining rocks. And, and you go, well, yeah, I know, but it's my lawnmower. And, and I go, well, you're still an idiot. But you win, because it is your lawnmower. Just change it just a little bit. Instead of me giving you the lawnmower, I said, look, I got this lawnmower here. This is my lawnmower. Use it for the purposes for which it's designed. And a week later, there you are, polishing rocks, and go, hey, buddy, you're supposed to cut, not shine. And because you're a man of integrity, you go, ah, you're right. It's your lawnmower. I will use it for the purposes for which it's designed. I think a lot of Christianity is just having to return, you just sort of re-up who owns me. And when we say, God, you bought me, you own me, lead me, guide me so I can experience who I'm really supposed to be. Lead me and guide me so I can experience what I was created for. Like if you own you, you can always say no to God. But if God owns you, you've got an interesting negotiation. There's no altar call here right now, but I'd like to pray for us. Because I think many of us are feeling that call to not necessarily up their game, but say, God, I know you have more for me. Or well, my life, my way, not nearly as good as yours because you're smarter than me. You love me more than I ever... God, I'm willing to say yes without knowing what's going to look like. There are even some of you here Look, you're coming to church, you're inquiring and all, but still the issue is, it's not a matter of God's plan for your life. Remember, you can't experience the answers to those questions without being in Christ. Some of you just got to sign up and go, I sign away my past, my present, my future. God, forgive me, transform me, come live in me, and lead me into your purposes and your plans. So I want to pray for each and every one of us. There's no altar call or raising of hands. Lord Jesus, when you call, I'm so thankful that it's you because you know everything. You know the end from the beginning. You designed us. You know the path to experience those two questions. You know the path where we can experience the glory of your workmanship in and through our lives. You are so smart. And you love us so deeply that you'd even die for us so that we could experience your answers to those questions. That's such an amazing thing. And some of us, we know you own us, but we're we're re-upping. We're just saying, God, that's right. Our lives are yours, they're not ours. Lead us, guide us, make changes. And for those of us who have yet to bow the knee to the real Jesus, for those of us who are going, man, I need to be I need to be a son or daughter of God before I can experience his answers to those questions. I just say yes. God, save me, forgive me, come live in my life. God, I ask that you would bring faith to every one of us to say yes to the next leading, to say yes to the next urging, to just say yes because we know who it is that's calling us. God, we ask that you would do this for our sake. God, would you do this for the sake of the people that we say we care about? And God, would you do that for the sake of your name, which we carry with us wherever we go? We say yes, God.
0: Amen. The worship team could come on up. So Ben did not sense that there was to be an altar call, but I do sense there is to be an altar call. And the altar call is not one where you have to come forward. The altar call is, as we sit in our places right now. I think that the Spirit of God is inviting us, wherever we're at, to another level of surrender in Him. To say yes to Him is to go to another level of surrender. To go to another level of surrender is to go to another level of enjoying God, consecration, and enjoying the fullness of our purpose in God. And I think to not respond to what the Holy Spirit was speaking to your hearts is to leave seed on the ground. <clears throat> and so I think you need to plant it in your heart. You need to say to yourself, I'm surrendering in this area. I'm going to go further in this area. I'm committing myself to this. I'm forsaking this. I'm giving up that. The, the joy of walking with God is that the kingdom opens up more and more and more. It doesn't get narrower and narrower and narrower. We never get bored as we walk with God because the kingdom of heaven is going to be an eternal revelation. When we get to heaven, there will never be a moment where we said, I've sung that song enough. I've heard the angels play the harps long enough. I'm bored. You will never be bored in heaven because Jesus is eternal. His revelation is eternal. We will never be bored. And we will never run out of worship and insight because it's unfolding forever and ever and ever. And so we taste of that on earth. And so God is calling us to go deeper in Him. And that's a joy. That's a a drawing of the Holy Spirit. We are unconditionally called because we're unconditionally loved. That's the connection that Ben is making for us. You are unconditionally loved. You have a Father that's waiting in the deep end. And once we see Him there, then they're willing to jump. But if we don't see Him there, then we're not willing to jump. The key is the Father is there. And so the Father is there for every single one of us. And so, Father, we come before you right now. Just ask yourself, as, as you heard the message today, what was God quickening to you? What did he prick your heart on? What did you say to yourself? Oh, I need to surrender there. I need to give up there. I'm at a crossroads, and I need to make the decision. I, I feel like God's been prompting me, but I can't do it. Cross over. Just remind yourself right now. Maybe you put it down in notes. What was it that God was inviting you to and surrendering to another level. Go to that place where you say, Yes, God, I'm surrendering. I'm surrendering. I'm surrendering. With our eyes closed and people's bow, just raise your hand if you said if you surrendered to something. Just raise your hand. Thank you, Lord. Father, you see all these hands that have said, I'm surrendering to a new thing and to a deeper place. Spirit of grace, come upon your children. Spirit of love, come upon your people. Spirit of glory, rest and abide upon your church. We give you thanks this morning, God, for your word. We give you thanks, Father God, for the work of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for church, God, because it's so fun. It's so fun. And we love it. One of the reasons why we end with a song is because it's always a great time to consecrate ourselves afresh, to allow the Word to sink in, to give ourselves some mental space to say, thank you, God, for what you've spoken to my heart. It's, it's, it's not just a, a closing, you know, thing that we do for the sake of the service. It's actually a way to just allow the Word to just go into our hearts, let the peace of God uh, to settle upon us. I'm going to have Alex come and Uh, Alex is part of our leadership team, part of our elders, and he's going to share insight that he had. I'm going to have him close off the service. But just one thing, too, before we go, just remember the prophets this weekend. Uh, If God has opened your heart and touched you, we ask you to just consider giving generously to the ministry to cover the expenses of our conference. Um, It's over $5,000 to bring in the team. Uh, And so there's quite a bit of, you know, uh, cost in that, expense in that, but we really want
2: to bless them. But uh, Alex, just come here. Just uh, uh, through the worship, um, I just saw a dam, and um, and the water was built up behind the dam so far that it was flowing over, and and kind of my first thought was just okay, it's worship, it's it's flowing over, um, it, it's exceeding what what we allow it to be, and then through as Ben was speaking, you know, more details kept coming, and what I really feel is is that, you know, especially once Ben started talking about the river, it just it clicked. It's, it's, we put dams across God in our life so that the, the stream is steady and it's controllable and it's not scary. We, we know what it's going to be at, at all times and the seasons come and they change, but the dam controls the flow. But I just feel that the water's built up and it's coming over the top and it's already coming a little faster than, than we like. But I really feel like logic would say, when dams are overflowing, we need to evacuate the area under the dam. We need to get out of the river and God's saying to you today, no, you need to defy logic. This is not about the things of the earth. This is about the things of of my spirit and I'm telling you to go in the river. The water is going to come and it's going to come hard and it's going to come fast and there's going to be seasons when it's deeper than you like. there's going to be shallow seasons, but that shallow season is still going to be so much greater than this controlled trickle that you have right now, and that you just need to step into that. So, Lord, we just pray today, Lord. We just, we just thank you for your blessings that overflow, Lord. We thank you for the just the river of love and grace and mercy that you pour into us each and every day, and how it is always so much greater than anything we can imagine. It is so much greater than the constraints that we put around it. And just bless you for that, Lord. So, just pray today that uh, yeah, you would just go out and just just find that little piece, that that section even if it's a section of your life, just let it go. Trust God in it and and break down that dam where you haven't been willing to trust him in. So thank you for joining us today, Lord. Just pray as we go out tonight, Lord, and go out into this week and, and beyond, Lord, that you would just put us in our places of influence and that we would be lights, just lights of your love, that we would reflect your smile out onto the earth, Lord and show your love. So be blessed today and uh, have a great week.